I'm Shereen Patek, and this is Starting Out. Digiday's newest podcast where I take the personal route with the biggest movers and shakers in the marketing industry to find out the story behind how they became the leaders they are today and their special powers that makes their craft so remarkable. On today's episode, how a kid from Montreal grew up watching a strong role model in her mom and went on to become a leader in business. Our guest today, Katrina Craigwell, the Vice President of Global Marketing Innovation at GE Digital. And at her position, she's got the bird's eye view that makes her rethink identity, diversity, building relationships, and leadership. And you could say her marketing smarts came from the early age of six when she started pitching to her mom. I pitched the idea of, uh, hey, mom, I want a Barbie doll. And I think I was standing in the halls of Toys R Us. Um, I, so my mom, she was always kind of guiding me in the right direction. And so at around that age, I really wanted a Barbie doll. And she was concerned about what message she'd be sending to me. And so I stood in the halls of Toys R Us, as she would tell you, which she remembers. And she said, Mom, you know, you said, Mom, you can be pretty and smart too. And just because, you know, I'm playing with a Barbie doll doesn't mean I'm not studying. And uh, so I got my Barbie doll. <laughs> I met Katrina when she came in to record the podcast. She's a very smart, poised leader, and she spent the last seven years at GE. She's held down every kind of job, from PR to marketing to tech. And many of the lessons she seems to have learned today have come from the time she actually spent in college, at jobs that were probably necessary to pay the bills and maybe even the bar tab. A retail store happens to be where she learned one of her first lessons. Got fired from a retail job. Why? Um, you know, because when you have a job, you're supposed to really act like you're happy to be there. <laughs> and so I think, you know, I was I was in college and I think I was, uh, you know, you got to show up even if you don't want to re-rack the tank tops. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, tank top retailer. Tank top, really, yeah, everyone can guess what that was. But it was actually, it was a really, really good lesson, right? Um, you got to show up. You got to show up. I think... G- I think it's some one of the most um, obvious and yet hardest to follow instructions you can give to people. You just got to show up, whatever it is. Be dependable and just show up. Be dependable and show up. You're you're not. None of us are entitled to anything. So if we're gonna be somewhere, we're gonna derive some value from something like a paycheck or learning experience. Then show up. And if you can architect a better place for yourself to be, do that grow, grow where you are or outside, but make sure that you're doing it with integrity Yeah, the entire way. And it's even in, you know, I wonder how much of it is even, even on an even simpler note, like show up to work, show up on time. And if you're yes. here or wherever, you're present, Be you're present. available. Yes, I agree. How much of, how much of that sort of moment of, you know, being fired from, okay, not, not going to be your career, the yes. clothing retailer, um, but still a job, a yeah. job that paid, um, how much of that do you think about still? Like just, oh, that's I, weird. I think about getting fired. I, yeah, I reflect on it. I reflect on it. Um, again, it wasn't, I, you know, I was young, so it certainly did not shock my system in any way. Um, but there were little lessons that I learned along the way. It wasn't the only time I got fired um, that have to do with showing up, that have to do with, you know, being very um, purposeful with building relationships and thinking about um, you know building agreement and understanding between you and the organization about what you're going to deliver, um, and just making sure your manners are like spotless all the way through. And I think in every one of those experiences, it's really there's a discipline around that that's really really important. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by the manners thing? 
You know, I, I, to your point about being on time and I like guilty as charged on this one, also not a morning person. Um, but, uh, you know, being on time, thinking about, it's really easy, even with the best intentions, right? It's really easy to be on your meeting in, in your, in a meeting on your phone, on your computer, you think you're multitasking. Um, it's really easy to forget to say thank you. Um, again, with best, the best of intentions. And it's also, you know, there are things that people don't expect, but the people that help you along the way have a stake in your path. And so remembering that when something good happens at the end of getting their advice or them making an introduction, going back and saying, bringing them along and saying, thank you with, without you, this wouldn't have happened. It means a lot. So it's not even just like manners in mis in misbehaving, but just how do you build those relationships how do you really do it with love and respect for the person on the other side of the table yeah people really want to help you and um almost don't expect any it's in, in just a really nice way when you have strong relationships you know we i threw a mixer earlier in the year um just for fellow uh women in marketing it ended up being all it was like a lot of ladies, lady bosses. So I was like, yeah, the invite list is all women. <laughs> um, and it was kind of this interesting mix of folks who are building their careers and then folks who are more established. And I had this moment of I'm spending time on kind of both sides. I would love for everybody to just meet directly so we can continue to support and promote each other. Um, and I didn't do it alone. I did it uh, with the help of two amazing leaders in the space. And it meant so much to me. Um, and I think they know it, it meant a lot to me, but it, you know, I, I hope I did a good job of, of, um, of letting them know that whether it's, I love to drink wine, a bottle of wine, mm -hmm. sending flowers, a handwritten note. Those are things that are all easy to do. And the five or 10 minutes that it takes to do that and, and kind of give some of that love, um, is just so important to building a relationship. And when I think about this whole notion of making sure to say thank you and bring folks along, you know, it, the, the deeper kind of part of that is the importance of trust in our relationships and communication and, again, showing up. Mm -hmm. um, I am a, a more of an introvert on the scale. And so for me, where I've received feedback, especially over the last um, you know, seven years of my time at GE is around how I behave when I am feeling stressed or when I go more into my introverted ways. And, you know, I, in, in some of those times, I am likely to just kind of put my head down and, and get to work, uh, or, or to kind of just think, well, nobody, nobody's really looking, nobody at me, no one's paying attention. I'm just going to be over here. This is comfortable for me kind of on my own. And for folks on the other side, and I'm so, I'm, I will be, I'm eternally grateful for this feedback. I think to them, it felt like I wasn't showing up, like I was disappearing. We don't know what she's thinking. We don't know what she's doing. There's no trust there. And so I think about that all the time. And, you know, in the ways where it's foundational and in the ways then on top of that, when it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I think about it. Um, if you wrote a book about your life, what would it be called? I would call it a lady named Jacqueline. Jacqueline is my mother's name. Oh, okay. I, this came, I, this like, came, I know. I, I, you know what? I, when you ask me that question, it's not something I would have an answer to normally. What would it be about? Except that it, you know, I think it would be about our paths as women, as women, and then as women in business, because we've both been that. Um, and then for me, kind of exploring, you know, when we talk about 
how to drive diversity and inclusion and where the change lies. It lies at, at the system level and it lies at the individual level, the grit, the resilience, the strength that we need um, as individuals kind of trying to fight through it. Um, I think it would be about those things. You said you, uh, while you were growing up, your mom was, was going through school, going yeah. through MBA. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I thought nothing of it. I thought this is what moms do. They get their MBAs. Wow. They become business yeah. ladies. This is just... Yeah, this, this is, is this is what what normalcy was to you. There was no strange thing about it. The further I get in my career, the more I reflect on how impactful that was. There was never a question to me that I would get a job, be in business, grow, work hard, and succeed, earn the success. Um, never a question. And you know, again, not until I was a bit older and I realized that 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 could be a question. That there were a lot of questions around all of that and the dynamic that we face. You know what I appreciate is that she never told me that how hard it was at times when I was growing up. And so it never, you know, it was absolutely the truth and reality, but it never kind of went into my brain at those formative, it made me stronger. But she has amazing stories anecdotally now when I come back to her. And it it was, and so again, the, the more we go into it, the deeper my appreciation is for what she's accomplished in her in her career and she's you know still doing change management and and consulting up in calgary you know working with the government i I don't know how she does it it's incredible but um it wasn't it wasn't easy um when was the first when was can you think about the first or second time you kind of realized that like the dynamic isn't the way because there's always a time in your life where you are you know in a cocoon of your supportive family and then you kind of step out of it one day and you're like Wow, that was it was nice in there. It was nice in there. Right? <laughs> like yeah, the world was so rosy. Um, you know, I think especially in the last 6 or so years, being in just being in tech, being exposed to so much, you see so much. Um, and so again, being part of the GE family is incredible. I mean, we have an incredible leadership, incredible yeah. female leadership. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> you do. again, in a very lovely cocoon, um, you notice when you walk into a room and um it's all men. Well-meaning men, it's all men. Uh, you notice when you walk into a room and you're the only person of color. Uh, again, all good intentions. But then you start to ask, how do you how do you change that? How do you affect that? I you know, I uh, have been asking myself this question much more aggressively. Kind of the more I've been uh, in these situations, awakened to to it, the the kind of more you start to go through the cycle of when when what are these points as organizations where we succeed in advancing this and where we don't. What's the decision that happens in our head as humans hmm. that, um, again, where we succeed in driving diversity and inclusion, where we, where we don't? And how do we start to think about that? Um, that's been really, really interesting. And, um, you know, from, from again, I ha- have a, built a team over the last year and a half. Um, and it's, it's really important to me that to think about that and to think about my team's incredible. Um, to make sh- to just think about the opportunities and the evenness and opportunity and exposure across the team, different styles across the team, different needs across the team, and how do we? It requires a lot of empathy, right? How do we adjust for those? How do we think about those? Um, so I would say it's probably you know in the, again in the last kind of five or six years, and it's incredibly pronounced now um, that it's it been kind of. I've been seeing it. It's on my mind. It's been obvious to me. Do you think there's an empathy? Is it empathy? Is it, is that sort of the point at which you make that 
decision, you know, we are going to do this versus we are not going to do it. And almost not making the decision is almost a conscious making the decision, right? Like if you're going to say, you don't have to say, I'm not going to focus on diversity. It's either you're not. I think it's empathy. I think it's also, um, so I, I've traveled all over the world. I think it's critical, um, stepping out of our own box because I think it's very, you need frame of reference and data about those who are not like you, whoever you are. And I'm, so I think it's, it's both. I think it's the empathy to say that, that there is an experience on the other side of the table that I'm curious about and that matters. And then it's the data to, to know that my experience is by no means the only one, the dominant one, the one that should be, even to just kind of register that, um, that's a lot of, that's two sets of a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot about how do you, at the individual level as a leader, get ready for that, right? Gear up for that so that you can make impact. And then how do you also enable those on their own journeys to have the resilience, the grit, that when something funky happens, they come back the next day just as strong and they've got the support system to call to say, yeah, that was funky. You got to go back tomorrow because you need to keep pushing and we're behind you so that you're going to get the positional power and the resources Mm -hmm. to make a different decision. Yeah. What was the best advice you ever got? Ooh, the best advice I ever got. I've had an executive coach. Her name is Kate Payne. She's fantastic. Um, Why did when did you start first start working with her? About four years ago. Okay. Was there a reason that you started? So it was again thanks to GE. um, I went through a process on my path of getting feedback and then getting a a coach to work with me through it. I have stayed. I've continued to work with her ever since. Um, She always talks about. Uh, she's, she's like just wired my brain so well, what, so, you know, I'd call her, I'd get on a session with her and, and I'd be just kind of trying to work through something and this happened and that happened. And, (coughs) you know, I think uh, you suddenly have this kind of waterfall of, of thoughts and assumptions about what's going on and what a bunch of things mean. And she would always say to me, what evidence do you have of that being true? Mm. And we would just go back through and I'd say, well, I have about you know, 10% worth of evidence of any of this actually happening or impacting me or, you know, that, um, and I have always come back to that. And in conversations with others, I've brought that up because I think that, you know, we can kind of be our own worst enemies in some of that. Sometimes it is all in your head, not you, but all of us. A lot of us is in, a lot of it is in in our our heads. heads. And I think it's in an effort to survive and protect ourselves, but it clouds our, our ability to play the game, right? To make the, the next healthy, productive, move. Um, tell me about a time that you do remember, you know, maybe it was before you started working with her. Um, but just in general in your career where you were, you realized like you really were all in your head in that, in that moment. And there was, so there was something to be learned from, you know, a scientific method, so to speak. I I love science. I've also been in therapy for over a decade. Like I'm all about the science of the brain. Good thing you work at G. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you worked somewhere else, like where it was like like an alien. Science. (laughs) What is that? Um, I, you know, I think I go back to a lot of probably my first two or three years and, and my previous, um, time when I was, um, when I had reflected less about my own style and, um, like your leadership style, even just personal style. Okay. Um, again, tendencies to kind of be very comfortable on my own, be very comfortable kind of putting my head down. Um, and, and having less of an uh, an 
inclination or kind of, you know, less of the instinct around building relationships. And so I'm going to go ahead and say that a lot of what happened in my head at that time, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I didn't ever really have the, the data to tell me what was really going on. And so that just, it was kind of a, a, a breakthrough period because without building the relationships, without talking to other people, without having that trust, you don't have the data. So I think about that a lot. I also think about, you know, there, there's this other piece of, um, and I've worked on this um, quite a bit, just understanding, again, individual social styles and um, on good days and bad days. What's a what's somebody at their most comfortable and safe and what's somebody when they're under stress and stress behaviors and being able to recognize that when you're kind of in an exchange with somebody and it's a stressful time, you're stressed out, they're stressed out. What's happening there probably has very little to do with either of you and more to do with the shared stress that you're experiencing. So again, being able to look at the evidence of a certain thing, being able to put um, just put things in the right place has been so much of the work that a kind of like a scientific brain perception level um, that we've done over the last few years. What frustrates you the most? Oh, I, um, what frustrates me the most or what I would say worries me the most um, is, I can't not spin it positively. What I'm most compelled by. Position it, aren't you? <laughs> I can't, I'm I knew you were, in me. You were going to call a challenge an opportunity. <laughs> Um, it's not an opportunity. It's, it's not, not a not challenge. A, it's, it's an opportunity. Yes. I, um, as marketers, it's really, really important for us to be putting work out. It's um, You can only build a strategy to a certain point. Then you have to go and, and prove your hypothesis or disprove a hypothesis. And I think we're in an, it's one of the best times for marketing. It's one of the most interesting times to build a business. Um because you can put messaging out, you can put product out, you can put content out and really understand what your audience wants back from you. And I think I get I get most worried in moments when we don't do that, when I see us go, a, a team, our team, any team go too far down a path of building a strategy without building those feedback loops in. Um, so not, not doing. Not doing, not doing. I just finished reading a book called Sprint um, by the Google Ventures team. Mm-hmm. And it was just like just a great five-day formula to make sure that you do. You're not going to lose anything in five days. You have everything to gain. Yeah. And I just that, you know, I, I my team's reading it. We're going to borrow some of those methods. But that's, to me, the crux of it. It's interesting that you say that because, yeah, you're right. It's the best time to be able to do because of the variety of mechanisms there are now to do lots of canvases, lots of mediums and lots of points where you can do a little thing and then still get a feed at the same time. It feels more than ever. Like it's a time that for some reason people are not doing like there is definitely in some way a crisis of over strategy of over thinking it because you've also got all of these things to strategize over. I mean, there's just more things out there too. There's more data coming at you, but, and data is great to a point, but you know, someone once told me like, you can use data to tell you whatever you want sometimes. You can just, you can sit there fiddling with your data. Totally. <laughs> it's not a euphemism. Just literally fiddling literally fiddle. With, <laughs> fiddle with your data for ages. I mean, there's, do you, do you think there's a dearth of doing in the industry overall? I think that we as humans are managing a new volume of information. And our patterns as decision makers have to adapt with that. And I just think that that's what we're 
going through. It is, it is, never have we had more stuff coming at us and never has it maybe been harder to tell what stuff is what. I'll just say it like that. And so we're in a time where we can do the most and it is so incredibly important that what we choose to do is anchored in a value that we believe in. And I think that when you ask the question like that, yeah, it's a little scary. Like you want to make sure not to mess it up because it could really work work one way or another. And I think, you know, it's also about somewhere about gut instinct. It's somewhere about just knowing. Um, And then sometimes gut, gut tells you one thing, the data tells you something else. There's, there's a lot of, it's a lot of input. There's a lot of input. I also think that the, the younger generations that are coming up now, you know, are processing information and stories. Their brains are literally processing information and stories differently than, um, you know, folks who maybe didn't come up with the internet, like with them since the age of whatever. That's a big change. That's a big shift, right? And that on, on the one hand, the gut instinct is totally right. And then on the other hand, the gut instinct needs to be completely rewired. And there's no, there's no other fix for that, really. It's kind of a wild time. What is the most important app on your phone? I love my ClassPass app. Okay. I really, Healthy. yes. I'm a big advocate of sleep, exercise, and good diet. Oh, I thought you were going to say laundry. Laundry? Sleep, exercise, and do laundry. You know? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, gym, like gym, 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 laundry. laundry. You know. <laughs> know. Don't, don't, like, don't give me What does that tell your... you about how often I do laundry? <laughs> it's really not top of mind. Gym, gym, tan, laundry, right? <laughs> That's hilarious. Sleep, exercise, and Yeah, I'm clothes. a fan of, of clean clothes. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love my class pass. I love my plated. Ooh, I have another one. So I'm, uh, I'm big on the um, financial apps. Big user of Robin Hood shout out big user of betterment big user of coinbase um just for a little you know because i want to give myself a heart attack with some crypto every now and then um but i uh it's just so important because it's we as as professional women have savings we're very responsible it's not necessarily made very obvious to us where we can kind of make more out of that um or or anyone for that matter and uh I started buying stocks with Robinhood maybe about a year or so ago, and it's awesome. And I'm like, why Why did I ever – I love my savings account, but, like, you know, if you're not growing your money, it's depreciating. Um, and so I just am such – I have since – I will go out to dinner with a friend. I'll say, well, what are you investing in? And, you know, maybe nothing. And I'll say, well – Take out your phone right now, please, and download Robinhood and give them all the information they ask for. Stock it doesn't even matter. Stock Katrina. tips. Look at Alibaba. I uh, know I, I'm not responsible for any. Uh, yeah, all decisions. stock advice here. All stock advice. Also, here. send your bill to Katrina. Send, do not, my God. Call me, though, if you want advice. <laughs> I'm really here for it. Um, so I'm just like, it's just take control. And I love that these apps are kind of making it just so accessible and easy to use. Thank you all for listening. Starting out is a production of Digiday Media, and our producer is Aditi Sango. So you can visit us at digiday.com. Please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, or just tweet at us to let us know what you think. See you next week.